Well, thanks for joining us on Texas Podcast and Blast. And as we're sitting here on September 2nd, it's one of the favorite times of year of many of the outdoorsmen that I know. You know, dove season is kicking off in a lot of parts of the state. and uh, People remember to get your new license <laughs> and all that because that's the time of year it is. We're a week out from teal season. And this morning, early on, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine standing on the beach front who was on a top water on a slick surf. So it's time that outdoorsmen like to get out and I'm excited today to have a new guest on, but before we get to the guest, I do feel it necessary to just give a shout out real quick. It's the one year anniversary where we lost a good outdoors friend of ours one year ago, Joe Carranza. And so as we record this today, I wish she was still here with us, but he would love to hear what we talk about, but it's always good to remember your friends and I hope everybody will be able to do that. So but today we have uh, an East Texas friend that I've come to know, and we call him by the name of Geo, and I'm going to let him explain why he's called Geo. But Geo, <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us today, man. All right, man. I appreciate you inviting me on your podcast today. Yeah, well, I'm glad you found time to do it. Uh, could you uh, explain to everybody why they call you Geo? Well, my name is Robert Geo Vanangelo, and uh, kind of shorten it for everybody make it easy on everybody so uh just call everybody calls me geo yeah well so did that start did that start about first grade where you, you got tired of having to write <laughs> that long name out on every worksheet you turned in yeah just about yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know uh we have geo on the show today because he is one of the rare individuals that is a full-time taxidermist and as we get ready to go into hunting season and kicking off another year i thought it was a real it was about time i bring on somebody who does this type of work and so uh you know as we talk about that today that's exactly why we brought you on and don't let me forget that you can talk about a little bit of that wild game processing you do as well but uh how long have you okay. been in the taxi how, how long have you been doing taxidermy geo well i got into it um probably when I was about 15 years old so about 40 years ago i guess um you know, I bought some pamphlets and some books and, you know, practiced on stuff. Me and my brother would go hunting and I would bring it back home and, uh, you know, try it, trial and error, you know, and uh, ruined a lot of stuff, learn, learn what to do and what not to do. So kind of, you know, learn the hard way, I guess. Um, you know, my first mount was a woodcock and uh, that was challenging. I didn't realize it was going to be one of the hardest things to ever mount and so <laughs> it, it turned out all right and uh you know so I just kind of went from there um and i from there i you know basically went moved to nacogdoches to fast forward a little bit moved to nacogdoches and graduated from stephen f austin with a wildlife degree in forestry and that was in 92 um worked in the forestry fields for a few years <clears throat> um and then I was doing taxidermy on the side the whole time, and uh, it got to the point where people were asking me all the time to mount and stuff, and, and finally, I just kind of jumped off into it and went full-time, and uh, that was probably, what, about 30 years ago, so, um, you know, I went from uh, from there, you know, <clears throat> whenever I jumped into it, uh, we built, a, like, a little 600-square-foot shop, which I thought was huge at the time, and I right. filled that up pretty quick, Um but now, you know, last year we moved into a 3,000-square-foot shop. So, um, you know, we're doing processing now, like you said. And so, uh, you know, we just kind of moved up from there. And, and uh, I enjoy doing it. It's fun, you know. It, it, no matter what you're doing, it always turns into work. But at least I enjoy going to work, you know. 
Yeah, well, let me ask you this. Do you still have that woodcock on display in the living room? <laughs> I do not. I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> and so you mentioned uh, when you and your brother started piddling around with this back in your teenage years, you mentioned two things that any of our young listeners may not quite understand. You mentioned that you learned from pamphlets and books or magazines. And so you're saying that there was no YouTube or Google involved <laughs> no. in your early years? No, there was none of that, uh, which makes it a lot easier now. When you watch someone do something, it's a lot easier than trying to read it and learn it and, you know, kind of go from there. But you got to be careful a lot of the YouTube. They're, you know, they're not all true. There's a lot of people skip stuff. And so you just kind of watch a bunch of them. That way you kind of get your own feel for what you want to do. Yeah. Right, right. And so uh, and with the business there in Nacogdoches, what breakdown or kind of what rough percentage do you do in big game versus birds versus fish or rodents? I mean, kind of how does your business, what's your, what's your makeup of the things you actually mount? Well, when I first got started, I was doing everything and anything, you know, basically, um, you know, I, I did anything from, uh, I was mounting crawfish on the side to make some side money, you know, and that, I'd, I'd mount those like playing cards or, or golfing or playing tennis, something like that, you know? So, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was, yeah, I was not turning anything down right now. I mean, I got, I'm so busy on the deer cause you know, that's your moneymaker people. And, and you, a lot of people bring in the deer, deer and ducks are the main thing I do. I do bobcats also. Um, uh, there's, there's some other birds and you know, I'll do some quail and stuff like that, but, uh, kind of getting away from the, uh, you know, the, the foxes and the coyotes and stuff like that. They're a little more time consuming. Uh, the bears, you know, that it, it's just uh, trying to get the forms right and everything. It's just more time consuming working on the, on the, on the prepping of the mannequins and stuff like that. So, so we're basically just kind of focused on, on deer because people want their deer and their animals. They want it in, they want it out, you know? And so right. if we have too many, we just can't get to them, you know, unless they hire more people and then it's just going to be, you know, you need a lot more amount. So, Right now we're at a growing stage, which you know, I guess you always are, but, um, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. Well, uh, Man, in business, they say if you're not growing, then you're shrinking. So whatever phase you're in, if it's called growth, that's a good <laughs> phase to be in, it sounds like. Right, yeah. So we'll see how it goes with this year with, the, you know, everything going up. And um, let's see who wants to get stuff mounted and who doesn't. You know, a lot of people are going to the European mounts because it's cheaper, you know, quicker and cheaper. But. Um, you know, you, can, you can't beat a, a good shoulder mount or a good bird mount or something like that, you know. Well, and uh, I'm my personal favorite on deer are the pedestal mounts. Uh, I've, yeah. You know, I, I've, I have a couple deer that are shoulder mounted, my best ones I've ever killed. And I've always decided I don't deer hunt much anymore. But, man, if I ever get a, a good one, those pedestal mounts are just uh, – those kind of stand out to me. And that's a fun one. So – what you're saying is you used to take any business people would bring to you. And now you're just trying to be a little more selective to make sure that you leave time to do your bread and butter, your deer and your ducks. And then as opportunity comes up, I know that you still take more uh, custom type orders, but it probably depends on what time of year. And if you just have the time or the, the ability to get to that project is what I, I guess that's kind of how you, you manage it. Right. And I, I hate to turn anybody down. That's my biggest fault i guess problem um it's hard for me to do but in the same sense i've got to take care of of my customer you know they're all customers but I can, right you know i've got to try to get them out 
you know. So if I take in everything, then it's going to take two years backed up on people's stuff. And, and you know, after a while, even a year is a long time. Um, but even after a while, you, you, you start losing the, you know, the part of the hunt, you know, the reason you got it mounted and, you know, uh, you kind of. They kind of, yeah, they can lose the excitement about what the they excitement, did and, yeah. and, and why they wanted that memory. And but also what you're telling me is, I mean, if you commit to doing somebody's project, you don't want to take a lot more projects in after that and slow down the commitment from the first guy. You said you get his, his mount done. Right. And yeah. so that's a balancing act, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it's well, not easy. Well, man, when we were visiting a couple of weeks ago, y'all were down in our area down in Matagorda. And, <laughs> man, you had told me some of the crazier things you mounted. And you talked about a coral snake that I just can't get that out of my mind. Can you kind of talk about that one long coral snake that you were telling me about you mounted that time? I can't remember how long it was. Yeah, it was 36 inches. Um, I didn't mount it. He just wanted a, a, um, the skin tan. And okay. uh, he brought he brought it in alive in one of those uh, one of those iced tea bottles, you know, where you put your yeah. iced tea and you sit in the sun or whatever. Dude, um, that, so is, brought- that, is, that is East Texas as East Texas gets. <laughs> but dude is bringing you a poisonous snake live yeah. wrapped up in a tea bottle. Man, that that right there describes your clientele. <laughs> yeah, in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> so he brings it in my shop, and he's like, "Hey, I want this tan." I'm like, "That thing's still alive, you know." And so he gave me a leather glove. And I, I know, you know, <laughs> for that snake to bite me, it's got to get somewhere soft, you know, in between your fingers yeah. or whatever. But I don't care. I want to take no chances. So we ended up just put it in the freezer and then taking care of it from there. But uh, Well, I, I, yeah. I think I also told you the story when I was living in southwest Oklahoma, I duck hunted with the taxidermist in town. He was a young guy by the name of Cody Young. And I was at the shop one day. I was helping him cape out some deer, you know, and there was pretty cool because every year we saw some 200-inch deer brought in from that area. You know, that they got some pretty decent-sized animals in that southwest corner. and he told me to get go get a bucket out of one of the chest freezers. Well, I reached down and pulled this bucket, had a lid on it, and uh, he said, open it. Man, I opened it up, and there was about a five- or six-foot rattlesnake coiled up in the bottom of it. And he said, is it dead yet? I said, I don't know. I'm not going to find <laughs> out. Man, he kicked that bucket just gently, and that sucker, it only rattled once or twice because it was pretty cold, but – I'm sure I backed up pretty quick because I, I oh, had yeah. no desire. I had no <laughs> desire to be around that thing at all. Exactly. And, uh, but, you know, it's the uh, taxidermy is – I've seen guys approach in a lot of different ways, and you've probably seen it ten times more than I have, of whether it's just the first deer or the first duck or it's, you know, the trophy that so many people want to remember forever. Or, then there's the collectors that – you know, I have a friend of mine that he's two species shy of shooting every waterfowl species in North America. And, uh, wow. and so he has, he has birds in the freezer cause he can only get so many, you know, he can only afford so many a year, but <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you see the full, the full gamut of clients of why they want something mounted. Um, I mean, how, how, how diversified is that? Just the reason people share with you, they want you to do the work. Yeah. I mean, when I first got going in this, I figured, you know, one person would get a, a deer mounted and then that would be it. You know, like that's my one customer and he's done, but there's a lot of people that, 
you know, they get a deer every year. They bring one in, drop one off, you know, um, or drop one off, pick one up kind of thing. Um, you know, some people are, like you said, collectors. They want, I've had customer, one, one of my customers, he had, uh, he was trying to get one of everything. So, you know, start with the spike, go to four point, three point, four point, you know, go all the way up to a 12 point. And so he had them on his wall and he probably had six or seven of them on there. And then he decided that the ratio was off. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, my ratio, <laughs> my, my dough to, my dough to buck ratio. And so he started mounting a bunch of does. And really? I was like, at first I was like, I don't know about that. But they, when I started putting them on there, they really looked good. It really set the wall off, you know, cause it's just something different. And, you know, and I liked it. it turned out good. Um, He's still probably got three or four he's got to get, you know, but it's, it's hard to be selective on, oh, I can't shoot that eight-pointer because I need a seven-pointer, you know, or whatever. Well, and now but, uh, an antler restriction, depending on where he's hunting and, you know, exactly. even making sure you hunt somewhere where the, an, the animal's harvestable. So, so, but this guy, he's doing he's doing a slick head to match up to every buck that he has mounted. <laughs> yeah. That's a unique situation. It, it is, yeah. Well, and so yeah. – so yeah, you come across all sorts of people. Well, and you know, I have friends that do that. You know, the the elk collection. One friend of mine has done the Grand Slam uh, on Pope and Young. You know, the the thirty something or twenty nine list, whatever it is, and their mounts are just crazy and extensive. But yeah. you know, the, I guess it's just kind of an open book, depending on what customers want, as long as the taxidermist is willing to work with them to get the project done. Yeah, and you need a, a big place to hang all that stuff too, you know. So yeah, yeah. the uh, well, we we've got a, we got twelve foot ceilings in our entry, and all my mounts are at the office. But Danielle said that in the twelve foot entry, if I kill an elk or a red stag, I could have it mounted, and it can hang in our entry. The problem is, I don't know if either one of those will be in, in my price point to <laughs> actually harvest an animal of that size and be able to get it done. So. <laughs> I think right. she, she kind of knew what she was talking about when she said, hey, you can get one of those done anytime you want, you know, and it's not much of a reality of, <laughs> of anytime soon happening. Well, but, you got uh, the green light. You better book a hunt. <laughs> well, maybe I'll start a GoFundMe page on Texas Podcast and Blast and have guys donate, <laughs> you know, if that's a needy cause, a worthy cause, we'll do a nonprofit tax deduction or something. But, yeah, no, but, you know, I've had – a number of different taxidermists work on my stuff. I had a friend that does it in his garage and he just does people he knows. Uh, mm -hmm. He probably did my first five or six ducks I had done over the years. I had, he did my first deer. Uh, my buddy in Oklahoma did my second deer. And then when we went to Saskatchewan a few years ago, we did a bulk deal with a large taxidermy outfit there in Huntsville, Southern wings, uh, mm -hmm. taxidermy shop. Some guys I know up there, they did great work. They, but it's just a, it's a really interesting artwork and business from your big shops to your small shops. And to find somebody who's been in it as long as you have is, is kind of unique, but in the, in taxidermy, you know, what are, what are some of the oddest things that have come in your shop? Uh, I mean, have you had a few that just stood out over the year? I mean, the coral snake in a tea bottle is pretty odd. Yeah, I mean, I've done uh, I've done uh, a Mississippi kite that was kind of cool. That and the guy brought in a red-shouldered hawk. Um, but now, before 
people call the game warden on me. It was uh, a guy from – it was a professor from SFA. I like, uh, how, you, I like how you put that ash yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had a, a permit to do it, you know. So, right. you know, without the permit, you can't get it done. But, uh, you know, I've, I've done uh, – we talked about earlier, um, an alligator gar. I had him uh, coming out of the water. Um, oh, wow. How big was it? Egg. It was uh, seven foot something, seven six, I think. That's a big dog. Um, yeah, and uh, it was coming out of the water, about to eat a, a frog that was kind of. I tried to do it like as a midair, it was on a piece of grass or something, but it turned out pretty cool. The water scene was, you know, they're all um, they're kind of tricky to do, um, trying to get the water to splash just right and everything. Um, but you know, people want the water scene, people want this stuff, but they don't want to pay for it. So certain people right. that do, I get excited about it because I'm like, okay, cool, I get to really do something, you know creative you know or whatever um you know i've done uh zebras um yeah i've done a lot of stuff but stuff that sticks out to my mind like the zebra was kind of weird you know i guess weird but different because uh to me it was kind of a horse you know and so, right um and so and we have horses so i kept going out to the horses and looking at the horses when i was out in the zebra <clears throat> And then uh, and Melissa got mad at me because of her horses. She's like, quit looking at my horses like that, you know. <laughs> so, I'm like, I'm just trying to get a reference but anyway. So yeah. that's kind of funny. But uh, my favorite mount, um, I had a, a, a game more than bring me, was a, a white-tailed deer fawn. And uh, it had gotten uh, ran over. <clears throat> and uh, so I, I mounted that. And it was laying down. And uh, that one probably one of my best mounts. I didn't want to get rid of that one, but I had to. Uh, yeah. Still had so the spots cool. on it, huh? Yeah, it was a little bitty thing. Wow. Little, you did a little Bambi. Yeah, a little Bambi. <laughs> it looked real. People would walk in my shop, and I had it in the chair, and people were like, what is, what's up with this deer? And I'm like, it's not live, you know, it's dead. So, so you had it propped a, up compliment. in the office, like a yeah. like just sitting up in your chair like a dog would be laying in on a piece of furniture and yeah. Well, mm -mm -mm. well, I know I'm friends with a number of the family that has a large Brahma ranch and they have their main bull, you know, he's mounted uh, shoulder mount in their office. Uh, and some of these things are just large. Do you ever have sure. people who come in and tell you what they're wanting done and you have to ask them, do you have somewhere to hang this thing? Do you understand how far the moose will come off the wall or how far <laughs> the elk or, I mean, yeah. do they ever come back with a little bit of buyer's remorse and say, man, I didn't quite know that, you know, a full body bear would take up half of my living room. <laughs> or, I mean, what do those conversations go like? Yeah. And, and one of them was, uh, it was a bear, but it was a bear rug. And people don't understand, or he didn't understand that, uh, you know, he shot a, a 400 pound bear. And so once you rug it out and stretch it out and lay it out, well, he wanted to put it onto the wall. Well, you're going to need a huge wall to right. put that bear on, you know, num you know, so it takes up the whole wall. And then when you got the head in it with the mouth open, you know, it's going alongside the wall. So if it's going up or out somewhere, you can't really see it. It's kind of almost be going like as you're walking by right. it, it's about, you know, five or six off the wall, off the ground, you know. So that took up a lot of room. Um, I had one customer, he brought me a, um, a 330 inch uh uh bull uh elk and right. uh <clears throat> so after i mounted it he, he was went looking for houses he was buying a new house and so every time he'd walk into the house with the real estate agent he'd walk in and say nope won't work 
They go into another one. Nope, won't work. She's like, how do you know so quick that you won't, don't want this house? And he was like, um, well, it won't fit my elk. You know, I'm looking for a place where I can put my elk. And so they needed the vaulted ceilings because it was a huge elk, you know. Um, and uh, so that was kind of, you know, kind of well, different. Yeah. One of my buddies in South Texas that I went to A&M with, when he built his house, he built an elk wall it's a cathedral ceiling and i don't know how much he reinforced it but you know above the windows he has i want to say four or five shoulder mounts and they're just majestic i mean they it looks awesome but it's not done by accident you know you can't just take any three bedroom two bath 1800 square foot house and expect to have a wall that some of these mounts can be done in in a way that can be appreciated and not just take up the whole house right yeah, and, uh, I've got a customer. He gets all his mounted as a full sneak. <clears throat> and I, when I finally asked him one time, I said, you just like that full sneak, don't you? He goes, oh, my walls are only eight foot tall. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I live in a trailer house, so they've got to be full sneak. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. So, <laughs> the trailer yeah. house has an eight foot plate. He can't go any yeah. taller. <laughs> and, uh, well, man, uh, you mentioned we talked a lot about the whitetails and uh we're at the end of this at the podcast we're going to talk about some of the tricks you know that you encourage hunters to pay attention to but outside of the the the, the larger animals uh with with the ducks what's what's the most common things that come in with your waterfowl request are they just flying or sitting or is it kind of half and half depending on the bird or uh, yeah well, how, how does all that break down most of the wood ducks I do um, are standing um, because right. all the colors kind of come together with, with, with our wings closed and everything. Yep. Um, you're getting in, <clears throat> getting into more of the um, the dead mounts on, on a lot of birds. The more customers are bringing those in because they're starting to see more dead mounts. And so they're, you know, hanging dead from the feet or the head or whatever. Right. Um, so they, they're starting to do those. Um, but usually, like, you know, when you get your mallard or, you know, pintails or whatever, um, most of those are flying, you know, so you can see the speculum on it, the color. And, mm-hmm. and so usually banking, you know, when you do like a one cupping coming in towards you, you don't really see all the colors, you know. <clears throat> so a lot of banking, you know, and it goes back to where you were talking about people getting a lot of mounts. If you just got one mount, like I tell the customers, if you just, this is your first mallard mount, you may want to bank it, you know, so you right. can see it just going along the wall if you see all the colors. If you get six or seven of them on your wall, you may want to do some something crazy, you know, have them come in in different directions or whatever. But as far as the pintails, mallards, you know, the guide walls, um, widgeons, they're all basically, um, you know, banking or, or doing something like that. A lot of people go online and bring pictures and send me pictures. Hey, try to do it like this. I'm like, okay, you know, as long as the bird is, is in decent shape, uh, like we'll get to that letter. But as long as it's in decent shape, I can kind of get it pretty close to what, what they want, you know. Yeah, and, and pictures are a lot easier. I used to tell them to cut out a picture of ducks and ducks and limited magazine and bring it to me or whatever. <laughs> now it's like they just you know get online and you know look up text it to and, you. Uh, yeah, send it to me. Yeah. So. Well, the, the the last duck I had done, uh, it was a bluebill, and I, I just wanted it done. The last image I remember that duck was feet down, cupped up, but I didn't want it on the wall. Cause I, you know, I wanted to see the wings and everything. And so we did a, I guess you call it a, a suspension mount where mm-hmm. it hangs from the ceiling. And yeah. so it, it's fully cupped up, but you know, 
when the air turns on or off or, you know, it, it turns just enough to where It'll spin. You, you see the whole bird. And uh, that <laughs> I get a lot of comments on that mount just because, it, you know, I have standing, I have banked, I have uh, wood duck on a piece of wood. You know, I mean, I have all, all those combinations, but that one that is hanging from the ceiling, it's a pretty, it's, it's the most talked about mount, you know, when people see yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I did a mount similar to that. Um, for a similar that pose was uh, the guy had he just got into hunting and he went and shot all these ducks had them in his freezer and brought them to me and he had like five widgeons and um, there was hands there was immature there was mature but he wanted them all on the big piece of like a big log you know big piece of driftwood and so I had this huge log and put all these birds on it <clears throat> like one was preening one was sleeping one was they're all doing different things right yeah that's pretty cool and, and uh, and the last one was uh, on top. And he was hanging from, like you said, like a, a piece of fishing line. And yeah. he was about to touch down. Like, he was just about to touch on that log. And so, like you said, when the wind would – or the, the air conditioner would blow or something. So, he would kind of spin a little bit. So, he probably, you know, five or six inches, eight inches off the, off the log about to touch down. So, that kind of turned out pretty cool because it was, like, different stuff, you know. Um, something a little different, you know. People just like right. that. Yeah, those are all – I mean, I, I think with waterfowl, uh, that's what I love about going to different guys who have had mounts done because there's so many, so many ways you can have them that look so realistic of what they were in the field. When you put that in the house or put that in your office, and it just kind of stands out because people aren't expecting that. You know, they expect to see a duck sitting down or, you know, banked up against the wall. But when you do those more custom uh, sets like that, it, it, it gets a lot of attention. I think they're pretty cool. Yeah. So, and then, uh, you know, you go from ducks and you still do a little bit of fish, don't you? Yeah. Mostly the fish we're doing now are, are uh, replicas just because they right. come such a long way and the replicas look so much better than they used to. Um, well, but, and, and, um, and they hold together longer, don't I mean, the old skin mounts, if you ever, you know, you'll see them now and they're, it just seems the fiberglass is going to, the longevity of that mount's going to be a lot, uh, a lot better. Oh, it lasts forever. You know, and, right. and plus a lot of places you can't keep the fish. It's too big or too small or whatever. Um, you know, so you have to let it go and get your replica. And um, so, and some people want to eat their fish, you know, right. and then still get a replica, you know. And so do you um, airbrush the, do you airbrush all the color on or is it a combination of, you know, yeah, paint uh, brushes normally, and airbrush or I've always wondered well, about I'm, that. I mainly just use an airbrush. Um, so basically, you would just get the measurements off it, go the, the total length and then the girth around the biggest part of it. And, uh, and then I'll order a, a fiberglass uh, mannequin or mold for it mm-hmm. and uh, basically put it together and then, uh, and then paint it. And this, you, you might look at a fish mount and look like there's, you know, three or four colors in it, but there's really like 20 different colors in there. So it's like layering yeah. of all these little colors. You know, you start here and you keep going, keep going. And then, and then the very last one, you put that clear coat on there, everything pops. And a lot of times you can see it in your room a lot. But when you, if you ever, if anybody takes their fish outside in the sunlight, um, it just, you see so many different colors in there. Um, and so if you're going to put it on your wall, it's good to have like a, a, a some sort of a light on it that really yeah, shows the, all the colors. Yeah, you know? a little Keystone spotlight or something that, yeah. that really brings it out so you're telling me that you have to airbrush sometimes over 20 colors onto one fish to get the combination right 
yeah, it just depends on the fish. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different colors in there, you know. And, and, and so, is there a, is there a rubric that tells you okay, use these colors, or do you have to figure that all out on your own too? Well, I'm sure. Yeah, there is. Um, but just like anything else, it's like you know, you're making you know a recipe or something. You want to doctor it and make it the way you want it. And so, sure, you know, I've I've gone through you know the the ways of this is what you're supposed to use and then i'm like well this looks better than that and I'll, I'll flip these two colors and and it comes out a different way you know so there's a lot to it uh and it's just basically doing it so many different times that you come out with what you want you know right um yeah we we <laughs> friends of ours that i've done a bay house with in the past now they own one that i'm not a part of but uh they have an old trout that was not the right colors early on they had it redone and now it's like now it looks like a speckled trout but before whoever airbrushed it uh they just use colors that really don't come on speckled trout you know it was kind of a and it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb but it was a long it was always a conversation because it always had to be it always hung it in a very prominent place and it's like do you want people to see that fish you know i mean it's not right. exactly what you want to show off so but uh a lot of times the uh, the Especially down there on the on the coast, you get this uh, like a sea tr like a trout or something like that, the saltwater yeah. species. Um, a lot of the um, if you do a skin mount, um, a lot of that oil after a while, depending on how they they tan it and everything, a lot of that oil start leaching out from the skin mm -hmm. yep. and then start pushing that paint, you know. And so right. it changes the color. And you know, I've, I've redone so many fish before, and you basically just start all over. But um, you know, that's why another reason, you know, I don't do skin mounts is, is for that right there. You do it once mm -hmm. and it's done, um, you know. Well, and, I mean, these these guys are on the offshore trips. You know, you start bringing in swords and dorada and mahi-mahi. And, I mean, the offshore fish, you talk about a color palette that's just phenomenal. And when a taxidermist gets that right, with the paint, you know, with a, with a, with a paint machine, it's, it's one of the coolest mounts yeah. you can do. I mean, those, those yeah. all, the blue water fish are just magnificent. You know, I mean, they, they're pretty big. So you talk about needing a, needing walls and needing a good, a good place in your house to hang them. Uh, exactly. man, when, they, when they get it right, it is, it is a sight to see. It's and some a sight of those to fish see. don't even look real. You know, you, you pull them right. out of the water, you're like, is this, this is so vibrant and brilliant you know it's like the iridescent colors it don't even look well they, and you know like when the dorada are in that feeding frenzy they're changing color rapidly it's almost like a chameleon yeah. lizard and so you know you, you put it in the cooler and once it gets on ice you open that cooler an hour later it's a different color and yeah. it's like whoa you know what happened to the fish and well that's how god <laughs> made it it kind of that's what it does mm -hmm. but, like a sailfish pull it out of the water and change colors already well, I know that one thing that I get asked a lot when I'm running hunts, and uh, I'm sure you get asked this over and over, people always want to know what are they supposed to do in the field with an animal that they want to get it mounted, or at least they think they want to get it mounted. Can you spend a little bit of time just kind of giving some pointers on, I would, let's first talk about, you know, your whitetail, your elk, your, your large animals. And then we'll talk about birds kind of specifically, but what are some of the common practices as a, from a taxidermist that you would say, Hey, do these things to make sure that animal is in the best condition to get a good mount done. Cause if they bring 
a torn up animal to the taxidermist, they can't expect the taxidermist to work a miracle. Right. But they usually want to. But, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. You're expected to. <laughs> so some of the don'ts, I would say, um, you know, big deer comes out, whatever, you know, you get excited and don't don't shoot it in the head or the face or the neck if you have to, if you don't have to, you know. Um, I've had people bring me deer they shot in the back of the head and blew the whole back of the head out, you know. And I'm like, okay. Um, so, you know, kind of take that into consideration. But, I mean, if it's a big deer and you only got one shot at it, I understand you got to take the shot. Um, but just understand you shoot it in the neck or the face, we got to repair it. It's, you might see something, ditches or something like that. So, yeah, so um, take a so, so behind the shoulder shot is definitely probably a better shot better, placement yeah. on a on a large animal. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, after you shoot it, um, don't if, if you're hunting around a lot of rocks, you know, hill country or whatever, and you don't want to drag it too far. You know, if you don't have to drag it at all, it'd be perfect, just load it up. But I understand a lot of people hunt remote. So um, you know, if you're hunting axis but usually this is what i get mainly axis in the um, hill country people will bring it to me and i'll send the hide off to the tannery and when it comes back there's gonna be spots where the hair slipped out mm -hmm. but when i got it the hair was on there you know so you don't know if the if the animals were fighting before you shot it or if you drug it and i'll call the customer hey did you drag this somewhere well we had to drag it about a hundred dollars and well you know you're dragging a pretty heavy animal and, and the hair is going to slip off, you know, it's good if it hadn't already, you know, it gets loose. So you got to be careful with that. Well, and with access being bigger than your, your, your white tail, this is where we give a shout out, spend the money, get you a Can-Am or that's what we run or get you a side-by-side -side so you don't have to run it so far. But, uh, right. you know, so don't drag them. What else you got? Um, I would say like if we, if you go to hang your deer, um, I hang mine by the back feet, but if you got to hang it by the head for some reason, don't wrap a rope around the neck. A lot of people bring me a deer and I'll look at it and I'm like, did you put a rope around the neck and, and hang it? And they're like, yeah, how'd you know? I'm like, I can see the line. And that line stays there, you know, even after the mount. So um, try not to do that. If you have to wrap it, put it around the horns, you know, and then hoist it up that way. Um, and whenever you're skinning your deer um, to get mounted, I get, we'll go into that here in a little bit, um, how to do it. But you don't want to get any dirt on it, like on the inside of the, the hide, you know. Um, well, and, and since, since you mentioned that, I've always found it easier to cape a deer out if I hang it by its back legs anyway. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, go ahead and, I mean, while we're talking about deer, I mean, go ahead and cover some of that as well, you know. the I mean, you, you get it on the rack, you know, hang it, don't hang it around, don't put the noose around the neck kind of yeah. deal but you know when they go to skin it uh just carry on with that conversation i mean let, let's kind of keep the thought going on white tail. okay yeah so um so if you want to get your your deer mounted um whether it's a doe or a buck uh i would hang it by the back leg uh and if, if we're just going to talk about just uh for mounting purposes um basically when it's hanging upside down you want to go about eight to ten inches behind the front leg um so basically in the middle of the body just make a ring all the way around it mm -hmm. nice and, and whenever you make an incision on, or cut on a deer or anything really you want to put your knife in inside the skin and then keep your blade pointing out and so you're going around it 
you're cutting on the inside of the skin, so you're not cutting any hair and you're not dulling your knife. Right, right. Um, you know, if you've got to use, if you only got one knife, you don't want to dull it while you're in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got that ring around it in the middle of the body. And so um, what I do is take my, um, take the, the leg of the front, the front leg of the deer and put it in my hand. And there's a, on the back side of the front leg, there's a, a point where the white and the brown hair meet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can take your knife and I usually start like below the knee and then yep. I'll start cutting all the way up, up the leg, up to past the elbow. And when you get to the armpit, you don't want to go in towards the armpit because these new forms coming out with, they've got more sh- shoulder, they've got more brisket, they've got more armpit. So you don't want to cut that because we have to sew it. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to go on the outside of that. It's just basically stay on that white and brown, you know, line and then go up towards the um towards the tail and you'll you'll hit that that initial uh incision or cut that you made all the way around it so you'll right. go up and touch and hit that and then once you do that you can just peel it all the way down peel it mm-hmm. off um when you get to the bottom you know bottom of the jaw or whatever you you know sever the neck but whenever you do that make sure you're holding on to the horn you don't want to break it break an antler or, or, or drop it in the dirt or something like that so Sure. That would be the best way. And once you do that, if you're somewhere, you know, in your deer lease, whatever you want to get it mounted, um, what I do is uh, double wrap it and, you know, put it in plastic bags, <clears throat> put two bags in it, make it sturdy, um, get a good cooler, and I'll get a, a bag of ice or maybe two bags of ice, depending on how size, what size your cooler is. And then I'll put the whole bag in the bottom of the cooler, um, put the deer on top of that, and then, um, get some bags of ice, put it around it, around the head. If you've got like frozen water bottles or something like that, works better because you can put it around the face without water getting in to the cape. Um, mm-hmm. you, you don't have to wash the cape off unless it's like really dirty or really bloody or, or it's got guts on it. You know, you can, you can rinse it off that way, but we really don't want them wet and soaking wet. Right. It makes a mess when we're working on them. So keep it cold and dry um make sure the sun's not beating down on it you know when you transport it stuff like that even if it's cold out the sun's hitting it even if you're driving across texas and you're driving six seven eight hours the sun's hitting the back of your truck well it could ruin you know mm-hmm. so so keep an eye on that um and so i mean what you're you're really just kind of talking about common sense pay attention to what you're doing while you're cleaning the animal and how you're handling it and more than likely yeah. things are going to turn out just fine yeah yeah well, that makes I've sense. I've had people, I've had customers that, you know, they bring a deer in, they want to get it mounted, and I'm, and it's in a bag, and I'm looking at the bag, and the bag is, the bag was moving. And I'm like, what is this? He goes, this is my deer mount. This is my deer I want to get mounted. And I'm like, that's, why is this bag moving? Anyway, I opened up the bag, and it was just covered. Yeah. It, it had all sorts of little bugs in there crawling around. Oh, and no. So, and I said, how long have you been, when did you shoot this? He's like, two days ago. And, Ooh. We had it in the back of his truck the whole time. So I'm like, oh, what are you no. talking about? You know, so of course, yeah. you know, the skin was green and everything. So we had to give him a different tape. But um, yeah, I mean, common sense, you know. Well, sure, surely when you're at, surely you charge miracle prices when people ask you to work a miracle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a little extra fees here and there. But, yeah, uh, if you're dealing with a green <laughs> cape, dude, something yeah. went crazy, crazy wrong. And so yeah. on. We'll keep going. You got a thought? No, I was just going to say, nobody wants to work on that stuff. You know, you no. Work, well, you don't have to wear a face mask or anything, but I do. And it's just, you know, 
it's, it's yeah, not a pleasant sight. <laughs> no, not at all. And so when we switch gears from the deer to the ducks, you know, on, on, on my hunts, if somebody shoots a bird that they want to get to the taxidermist, you know, they're in the field. I'll try to kind of just get my fingers wet and, you know, if I can just wash off any blood or anything on the, on the feathers, but I just kind of gently put it in my, in my blind bag, you know, and, and get it away from all the, uh, you know, we don't put it on the strap. We don't put it, uh, we don't just throw it down at the base of the stool, you know, take that bird and kind of put it away and just handle it with care. Is there any other just kind of factors with handling waterfowl in the field that no, you want to I mean, get mounted? That's exactly what you want to do. You want to, you know, treat it like it's like your baby, you know, because you're about to spend some money on it and that's what you're going to see forever, you know, and, and so you want to take care of it. If there's some blood on it, yeah, you can wash it off. I mean, there's that oil on the, on the ducks that, you know, they put it on there. So water runs off of them anyway. So you can mm -hmm. probably just get it, you know, get it on there and get it off if there's any blood or whatever. Um, I mean, you don't want to like soak it in the water and let it sit down in there, you know, and soak up all that water because then it's just going to get messy. Um, right. But in, in another thing, you know, you want to look at a good bird, look for one that's not shot up. Um, right. Yeah. Pick, you know, pick the best bird out of the pile. Yeah. And if you're, of course, everybody wants their first duck or, or their dog's right, first right. retrieve or whatever. But, um, you know, if, if, if you're not doing that, then you want to pick a good bird and make sure, you know, look at the primaries, make, you know, look at the tail feathers, make sure nothing's, you know, broken or whatever look at if you want to fly if it's a mallard and you want it flying you know kind of how, how you want it done look at the wings make sure they're not broke you know right stuff like that because if you want a cupped up mallard and you want them cupped hard when he's got three or four breaks in each wing it's not gonna it's not gonna bend right it's gonna be right. all jagged you know so yeah. so stuff like that you know um are you a fan you of know? of tucking the head underneath the wing to protect all those colors on the head yeah, and what that mainly does, like, um, okay, so I, say you picked out your, your bird you want mounted. What I normally do is get some paper towel, <clears throat> wrap the head, you know, pretty couple of good times, and then put it under the wing or tuck it in the wing and then and then wrap the whole body, you know, two or three times with paper towel. Um, and I'll put it in a, like a freezer bag, Ziploc bag, and then put it in the freezer, and I'll lay that on its back so the blood, because you put holes in it. So the blood mm -hmm. will go to the back where there's usually a darker color on the back than the front. And uh, so if it's going to stain, it's going to stain in the back. But uh, it in that paper towel kind of wicks the, the blood away. Um, right, but, instead of just most sitting of, in the most blood. Of the, yeah, most of the fronts of ducks are light color anyway. And yeah, so you want the blood to stay as far away from that as you can. Yeah. And that was and one of the tricks. That, go ahead. That when, when you shared that with me a couple of weeks ago, I was like, that's why the one thing I've never considered when I was putting birds in the freezer is put them on their back. So that blood gravity alone is going to keep it away, you know, from yeah. that, from the white belly or the, the, the light colored breast. Yeah. And, the, and one of the reasons you tuck the head is, you know, if you put it in your freezer, or I put it in my freezer and you throw a piece of meat down in there, if the head's sticking out or pintail or something and you hit it, it's going to snap off. And so you tuck the head. So it's on, it's like one little ball. You know, gotcha. so it's more protected. So, um, yeah, you, know, you don't want to mess yeah. that up. When it freezes, when it freezes hard, it gets a little fragile, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, you know take I care mean, if, if, go ahead. 
No, I, go ahead. You were just saying take care of it. Yeah, I was going to say take care of um, Like if you're pheasant hunting, take care of the tail. You know, you got a good sprig on your pintail, take care of it. You know, so so especially like a turkey or something, you want to make sure you have room in your freezer to so you don't mess it up. Like you said, common mm-hmm. sense stuff that people don't think about until it's too late sometimes. So, um, you know, something, something else to, to think about. Yeah. Well, man, I'm sure with taxidermy work, we could probably sit here and maybe we just need to follow up and do, you know, once or twice a year, just keep notes on what we talked about one time because taxidermy is a world that you could probably talk for hours and I can think <laughs> of a thousand questions to ask you. But, you know, uh, I did want to ask you a little bit about your wild game processing. Uh, how long have y'all been doing that? I've been doing it a while, but um, I just started doing it last year for the public. Um, you know, for other people, uh, people have always been asking me, Hey, when are you going to start doing process? When are you going to start doing process? But finally, I kind of jumped into it last year and like I said, got that bigger building. So now we're I doing was about to say that, yeah, that probably drove some of your decision to get a bigger space is if you're adding on a whole nother part of your business. Oh, yeah. And uh, so yeah, that keeps us busy. We do uh, we do smoking sausage, of course, you know, we, we'll, we'll cut and wrap, you know, tenderize backstraps or make burger whatever um we use vacuum sealers for much everything keep it fresh um but yeah we use the smoke link sausage the red jalapeno cheese um german sausage plus pan sausage basically just everything uh and we don't do some things like we'll do snack sticks but we're not going to do uh the uh the salami or Sure. It was the special. Yeah. yeah. When you go specialty meats, especially venison, you got to be equipped with a little bit more than, you know, and I've done a podcast. I had our local ag teacher on for a podcast last year because at our school, we have a full kill floor and processing center. And we were talking about how the technology when I was in high school, you know, we were still using the white butcher paper and we had to wrap everything, wrap it, wrap it and take it, wrap it and tape it. Now they have this commercial vacuum sealer and they put like five packs in at a time and shut the lid and 14 seconds later it's yeah. done and I was, I was trying to remember how many hours we spent you know back in the mid 90s in that processing room just wrapping right i mean we went through paper after paper tape after there's tape. still a lot of people that do that yeah there's and, still processors that do it that way and you got to have the, the Sharpie and the stamp, you know, the Sharpie to identified <laughs> and the, the stamp to put the, the year date and not for sale because we were coming out of a, a school. So, I mean, we couldn't sell it for profit. And, uh, but that's a, you know, the butchering alone in processing, you know, I, I share with you down here, you know, I, I'm blessed to get to get to whenever we shoot deer, we're able to get to about four or five families and we still go to one old Bohemian's family and they have the, the grinder and the stuffer and uh, homemade, uh, you know, smoke shack. And uh, it's old school, but man, it's an art that unfortunately many people, I think we're getting further and further away from the family being able to shoot a deer and come home and process it on their own. Yeah. And so I'm sure there is a demand there. So in in East Texas, if you're on Nacogdoches or want to drive to Nacogdoches, you can get your animal, Mounted and you can get the meat done uh, yeah, from the processing one, center. So, one stop shop. I've got a couple of things that I talk about about the process and about you know common yeah. sense stuff about getting your deer done. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's get into that. Just, just basically, just keep the hair um, and guts and fecal matter off. Right. Meat. I mean, you'd be surprised at what we 
when we open up a cooler, what's in there? I've had I've had deer feed in there with the meat. I've had fecal mm. matter, you know, guts, whatever. So keep it clean. Oh, you're yeah. going to eat it. Yeah. You know, um, don't wait seven to ten days. You know, everybody wants to bleed out their meat. Um, but if you wait seven to ten days and bring it to me or someone else, it may sit in their shop for seven to ten days. So right. then you're pushing the issue, you know, so you want to kind of mm-hmm. get it in as quick as you can. Um, you know, what I like to do whenever I uh, cut up a deer, if I'm putting it in the cooler, I'll, uh, I'll throw, a, I'll layer the ice, meat, ice, meat, ice, meat, you know, so I'll put a layer of ice down there, put some meat down, maybe, maybe two shoulders, throw another layer of ice, maybe the back strap, and then, you know, finish it off with the ham. So that way the meat's cooling down really fast, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, if you don't, so, then whatever meat's on top may not be in touch with any ice, and it can be a, a, a significant difference in the temperature from the meat on top of that cooler to the meat that's down the ice on the bottom. Yeah, it might take a little while for it, for it to reach it, you know. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you want to you want to get it down cold as quick as you can. It's the same thing if you shoot it in the woods, you know, get it clean, get it get it on ice as fast as you can. Um, whether it's the meat, whether it's the cape, you know, whatever, even a duck, you know, it's got a lot of down feathers in there. You know, you shoot it, you, you know, you need to get it cold as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put it in a good, if you bring it somewhere, bring, put it in a good cooler with a good lid and a good spout, you know, a good drain plug because what well, we've had, you know, we might have 50 deer in here in coolers and, you know, all of a sudden we come out one morning and there's, blood and water everywhere like what's this well the, the drain plugs don't work you know oh right. we didn't know that yesterday so yeah. um i mean basically you know you take care of the animals in the field they'll, they'll turn out a lot better whether you're you know getting them mounted or, or you're eating them so you know common sense kind of think about what you're doing you know and and be prepared like you said if you're going duck hunting and you you know you're going into an area where you're gonna you might come out with some really good birds bring some freezer bags with you you know right yeah definitely you don't want to get caught off guard because it'll be harder to care for that animal uh yeah. you know on hindsight looking back all you had to do is grab the right stuff when you're leaving the house but yeah and i don't really as far as birds i don't really go use um like the pantyhose because you slide that, right. that duck in that pantyhose and, and if you back it up just a little bit well you've just done the opposite of what you're trying to do Right. And a lot right. of times that blood will stick to the pantyhose and it's hard to get off. So, uh, so just wrapping you know, them in, in white paper towels is the best way to do it. Yeah, that's what I like. Well, the newspaper, you can transfer the ink uh, from the newspaper to the to the feathers. I've seen people do that. So, uh, you know, but I tell you, taxidermy is one of those things that people don't think much about it until they want it done. I don't think there's a lot of people that sit back and think taxidermy work all year long. And so whenever they get to the field, you know, they've, they've been, but it's kind of a, Oh, wow. That's a great animal. I just shot. Maybe I ought to get that one done. And then all of a sudden this kicks in, but these practices are just should be just common behavior, whether or not an animal's getting mounted or not. Pay attention to how you're handling that meat, how you're handling that, that, that coat, how you're handling those antlers and just be smart about it. Yeah. And if they have any questions anywhere, I mean, people call me in the middle of the night. Hey, I just shot, I didn't shoot. I just found my deer or whatever, you know, and like, <laughs> what do I need to do? And, you know, so, um, you know, I'll walk them through it sometimes, you know, and 
you know, if they're close enough, I'll go meet them and do it, whatever. So, um, yeah, if you have any questions, call me or, or you know, shoot me a text or whatever. Um, oh, and know, a lot of people and, can Google it, you know. So. Yeah. And you can, people can ship you animals. So, I mean, just because you're in East Texas, if somebody hears the podcast and now like talking about doing a bird or something, I mean, there is ways to, to get animals to the taxidermist without actually having to drive them across the state. You know, you can. I know there's ways to do that. So I would encourage yeah. anybody. Uh, I get mounts from all over the place, you know, Colorado, yeah. you know, you know, so, New Mexico. So. so, so what's the best number? If, if somebody is listening to this conversation with a guy named Gio in Nacogdoches, Texas, like, dude, this guy knows what he's talking about. I want him to work on my stuff. What's the best way they can get in touch with you? <laughs> well, you can look, you know, you can Google my name. Geo taxidermy and if you want to look at some pictures you can go that way too and just kind of look you can flip to the pictures of, of what's there duck whatever deer um and just and to remind everybody talk, that geo is literally g-i-o it's nothing i mean it's just yeah. what it's g-i-o <laughs> geo's taxidermy and you're the only one by the way because i did google it the other day and there's nobody trying to represent themselves as you so okay, good deal you know, but, uh, but yeah, well, cool. If you want my phone number, it's a nine, three, six, five, five, two, four, five, one, nine, or you like to say, you can Google my name and, and then you ship me a, a text or email or something like that. And I'll get to it. But, uh, cool, man. Well, man, it's a, like I said, it's Friday. It's the first or it's September 2nd, beginning of the season that many of us like, uh, with bird seasons kicking off, we have, archery coming up in a few weeks you know and then november kicks off all the big seasons but you know uh i just want to say thanks for taking time to to join me on the podcast and i think we can find plenty of things to have another you know episode down the road but i'm sitting here i've got about 40 pounds of uh pulled pork on the pit it's varsity Uh football season so we're feeding football boys tonight you know like i said i started out this morning at 5 30 and a friend of mine, I talked to him. He was standing on the beach uh, catching trout on top water. We had a slick surf this morning, but I was stuck here at the house, you know, with meat on the pit. And there's just a lot of things going on. But uh, taxidermy is definitely uh, – the mounts I have is not just about the animal. I can tell you where I was, who I was with, what the situations were. Taxidermy tells a story. And whenever yeah. you find good artists and good storytellers like Geo and his crew, man, it keeps a memory alive and it keeps that story being told over the years. So, man, if you've ever thought about that or want to get something done, look him up and uh, he'll get you taken care of. So, well, man, well, thanks a lot for joining us on Texas Podcast and Blast. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Geo, thank you for being part of it. All right, Matt. And, thank uh, you. I appreciate it. All right. We'll catch everybody on the next side. Thanks for listening. Thank you.